Okay, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 23. 2 Kings, chapter 23. I'm going to be reading a long section of Scripture. I want to read the, the chapter here, verses 1 through 25. So I'm going to read 25 verses here, 2 Kings, chapter 23. And I'm going to read 1 through 25. But before we do, let's pray. And ask our Lord to bless the reading of his word here this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we're gathered here, Lord God, in our church building, I thank you for everyone that's physically present here. I thank you for all those listening online, Lord, for all their support, all their love, and all their uh, faithfulness, Lord Jesus, and joining us through our online services. We continue to pray for all those that are not feeling well in their bodies, Lord, and we continue to pray for protection against this virus that's still, Lord God, a major threat to our country and to our world. So we pray right now, God, for everyone's well-being. But right now, God, we want to focus on your word. Bless the reading of your word. Anoint it. Give it life, Lord. Let it do the work that you, Father, desire for it to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Very good. Okay. Second Kings chapter 23, starting at verse number 1. The Bible says this. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. The king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts, he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. He did away with the pagan priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and moon, to the constellations and to all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to powder and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes, which were in the temple of the Lord and where women did weaving for Asherah. Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places from Geba to Beersheba, where the priests had burned incense. He broke down the shrines at the gates at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the city governor, which is on the left of the city gate. Although the priests of the high places did not serve at the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priests. He desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hanam, so no one could use it to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire to Molech. He removed from the entrance to the temple of the Lord the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. They were in the court near the room of an official named Nathan Melech. Josiah then burned the chariots dedicated to the sun. He pulled down the altars the kings of Judah had erected on the roof 
near the upper room of Ahaz, and the altars Manasseh had built in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. He removed from there, smashed them to pieces, and threw the rubble into the Kidron Valley. The king also desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on the south of the hill of corruption, the ones Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the vile god of Moab, and Molech, the detestable god of the people of Ammon. Josiah smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles and covered the sites with human bones. Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place he demolished. He burned the high place and ground it to powder and burned the Asherah pole also. Then Josiah looked around, and when he saw the tombs that were there on the hillside, he had the bones removed from them and burned on the altar to defile it in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by the man of God who foretold these things. The king asked, What is a tombstone I see? The men of the city said, It marks the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and pronounced against the altar of Bethel the very things you have done to it. Leave it alone, he said. Don't let anyone disturb his bones. So they spared his bones and those of the prophets who had come from Samaria. Just as he had done at Bethel, Josiah removed and defiled all the shrines at the high places that the kings of Israel had built in the towns of Samaria that had provoked the Lord to anger. Josiah slaughtered all the priests of those high places on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he went back to Jerusalem. The king gave this order to all the people. Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Not, not since the days of the judges who led Israel, nor throughout the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, that Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Verse 24. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and spiritists, the household gods, the idols, and all the other detestable things in Judah and Jerusalem. He did it. He did this. He did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book of Hilkiah. The priest had discovered in the temple of the Lord. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. Today we're going to be concluding the story or the life account of Josiah. Everyone say the name Josiah. Okay. So we've been talking about Josiah for the last few weeks. And let's go quickly and review just a few bits of information that are important for us to catch up on here. Okay. First of all, a couple of weeks ago, we learned that Josiah was a fulfillment of a prophecy that was given 340 years before Josiah was even born. This prophecy is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. And for me, this is such an amazing prophetic word that was given by God over 300 years before he was even born, Josiah, that I want to read it again. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. Let me read this once again, uh, this prophetic word given about Josiah. It says this. 1 Kings 13, 1 through 6. By the word of the Lord, 
A man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar. Altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day the man of God gave a sign. This is a sign the Lord has declared. The altar will split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him! But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. Now we learned a couple of weeks ago in 1 Kings chapter 13 verses 1 through 6 that God sent a prophet to Jeroboam to confront him about his fake altar, his counterfeit altar, his unacceptable altar for the worship and praise and sacrifices to a holy God. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I showed you a map of the of the nation of Israel that was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And it just so happened that Jeroboam became the first king of the northern kingdom after Solomon had sinned. Rehoboam took over the the nation of Israel, but because of Solomon's sin and Rehoboam's pride and arrogance, the kingdom was divided. Jeroboam became king of the northern part, and Rehoboam, Solomon's son, became king of the southern part. This is in reference to Jeroboam. Jeroboam allowed his insecurities and fears to rule his heart instead of having faith and trust in God. We have to remember that it was God who put Jeroboam on the throne in the first place. It was God that told Jeroboam, Jeroboam, you're going to be the king of the northern section of Israel, and and I'm going to be with you. And if God put him there, God would protect and bless his life and bless him as a king if he would simply follow God's ways. So far, are you guys following me so far? God put Jeroboam as king of the northern kingdom, and God assured him that God would be with him if Jeroboam did what was right. Listen to what it says here in First Corinthians. I'm sorry, First Kings, chapter eleven, verses twenty-nine through thirty-eight. Listen to what God says to Jeroboam, the new king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Listen to what He says in First Kings, chapter eleven, verses twenty-nine through thirty-eight. About that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem, and Ahijah, the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way, wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone out in the country. And Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into 12 pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, Take 10 pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you 10 tribes. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worship Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, 
the God of the Moabites, and Molech, the God of the Ammonites, and have not walked in accordance in obedience to me, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my decrees and laws as David, Solomon's father, did. But I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand. I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose and who obeyed my commands and decrees. I will take the kingdom from his son's hands and give you ten tribes. I will give one tribe to his son, that's Rehoboam, so that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. Now listen to what God says to Jeroboam here in verse 37. However, as for you, Jeroboam, I will take you and you will rule over all that your heart desires. You will be king over Israel, the northern part. If you do, verse 38, if you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands as David, my servant, did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. Church, is that a powerful promise given by God to Jeroboam, assuring him that if he just does what is right, God's going to be with him. Are you guys all in agreement with me? Can you say amen? God's going to be with him. But sadly, sadly for Jeroboam, he relied on his carnal thinking, I like what Albert says, on his stinking thinking, and didn't truly put his trust in God. And listen to what Jeroboam does once he becomes king. Listen to what happens. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 26. Verse 26 says, Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah, the southern kingdom. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Listen, church, Jeroboam allowed fear and paranoia and panic to take over his heart. Verse 26 says this, Jeroboam thought to himself, listen, when you start thinking, stinking, thinking thoughts, you're going to get yourself in trouble. When you start thinking, stinking, thinking thoughts, instead of putting your mind on the word of God, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Did you hear what I just said? God had assured Jeroboam, Jeroboam, you do what I tell you to do and you will be taken care of. I will back you up. I will bless you. I will give you a successful reign. But Jeroboam panicked. He started allowing fear and torment and paranoia to take over his mind and over his heart. As a matter of fact, listen to what it says here in verse, in verse 28. 
Verse 27, if these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to king Rehoboam. He was so paranoid, he started freaking out so much. He says, oh, they're going to kill me. They're going to turn their backs on me. They're going to abandon me. And you know what? I can't even get mad at Jeroboam. You know why? Because I'm guilty of doing the same thing. How many of you are guilty of always thinking the worst case scenario for yourself? I mean, you think of the worst possible thing that can actually happen to you. And you know there's been studies done that over close to 95% of all the things that we worry about never, ever happen. Because we allow our mind to dwell on these negative, dark, evil, panicky scenarios. This is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then I'm going to be destroyed, and then I'm going to be humiliated, and then I'm going to be all messed up, and everybody's going to laugh at me, and I'm going to be in prison, and I'm going to, they're going to kill me. That's what was going on with Jeroboam. He was starting to panic, and he got insecure, and he said, these people, they're all going to go back to Jerusalem, and they're going to abandon me, and I'm not going to, no, he should have allowed himself to trust in his God, the God that told him, Jeroboam, you put your trust in me, and I'm going to give you success. Don't worry about what the people do. Don't worry about where the people go. Let them go to Jerusalem. Let them worship in Jerusalem. You just follow me, Jeroboam. I'll just use myself as an example. I, as a pastor, okay, we have a certain group of people that go to our church, and when someone comes to me and they say, oh, Pastor Jerry, you know what? We're going to leave this church and we're going to go to another church. And then they convince other people, we're going to leave this church, we're going to another church. Now inside, do you think that hurts me? Of course it hurts me. Of course it concerns me. But on the outside, oh, okay, well, we love you. And if you feel that you want to go to another, that's fine. We're all part of the same kingdom. We all love Jesus. But inside, inside, it hurts. And there's a little bit of paranoia that starts. A little bit of panic. A little bit of fear. Oh, man, if they're going to leave, then what if so-and-so leaves? And what if, oh, no, I got to do something. No, no, no. We got to do what God tells us to do. And he says, Jerry, you keep your cool. Jerry, you just keep doing what I tell you to do. You just keep following me. Don't worry about the people that come and go. Don't worry about what's happening in the church. You just keep your eyes on me. Church, we always, I got I, I to do this to myself. I got to do this to myself. Those of you that when you lose your job, those of you that got, got diagnosed with some kind of, you start, you, you get diagnosed with some kind of a sickness, you start thinking, the word, oh, I got cancer. Oh, no, I got AIDS. Oh, no, I'm going to die. We start panicking. But what does God say in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 and 4? You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. We have to go back to trusting in the Lord. We have to go back to trusting in his word. Are you guys following me so far? Can you say amen? It says here, let me say it again. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. 
Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. What does it say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8? Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What does it say in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. No, 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 no. The church is not going to fall apart. No, 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 no. I am going to find a job and I am going to get paid and I am going to be able to pay my bills. No, 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 no. God is going to heal me. I'm going to believe for my healing. I'm not going to let my thoughts and my paranoia and my insecurities and my fears torment me. No, no, no. I'm going to allow God to be my peace. I'm going to meditate on his word. If Jeroboam would have simply just meditated on the word that he received from the prophet of God that told him, Jeroboam, I'm going to give you ten tribes and I'm going to allow you to be a successful king if you just follow me and honor me as your God. Church, I want to challenge you to do the same thing. Church, I have to challenge myself to do the same thing every single day day. Not rely on my feelings, not rely on my emotions, not rely on my carnal thinking, not my rely on my natural thinking. No, 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 no. To rely on God. To get on my knees and to cry out to my God every single day and to depend on Him to take me through that day successfully. That's what you have to do and that's what I have to do and we need to meditate on His Word. Can you say amen, church? Jeroboam even saw his hand wither right in front of his face. And then he saw it restored back to normal again, right in front of his face. Jeroboam had a chance to get things right, but instead he chose to do wrong. He should have encouraged the people to continue to worship God in Jerusalem. Hey, you know what? If you want to go to Jerusalem, if you want to go to the southern kingdom, if you want to go to where Hoboam is, is the king, you go for it. You do what you have to do. You keep worshiping God. I know that God is going to take care of me. He should have just relied on the Lord to protect them. But instead, he went forward and told the people of Israel to worship the two golden calves that he had set up in Bethel in the northern kingdom. Please, church, no matter how strong the opposition or how overwhelming the odds may be against you, if you honor God and do things his way, you will have God on your side. Don't look down on yourself because you are not well educated or don't have what you think is the right look or you are not in the right ra- of the right race or the right culture or from the right neighborhood or from the right family. Don't worry about that. Don't trip on that. Don't be concerned about that. You follow God. You honor God. You'll be guided by his holy word and by the Holy Spirit. And believe me, no matter what's going on around you, you will be okay. God's going to bless you. Isn't God amazing? He knows the future. God already knew that the Lakers were going to win the championship this year. He already knew that. We were all nervous and panicky, but you know what? God already knew that the Lakers were going to win the championship. 
God already knows if the Dodgers are going to win today and if they're going to win the pennant. How do you like that? He already knows that, church. God already knows who's going to win the election in November. He already knows what is going to go down five years from now. On a more serious note, God knew the exact day and hour that my mom was going to go to heaven on Thursday, August the 20th, 2020. Church, that's why we need to put our trust in him. God knew that I would be standing here today at this pulpit preaching this message to you at this church and that you were going to be listening. Those of you that are listening online, God already foresaw this. God already knows what he's doing. He has me here for a specific purpose, for a specific time to give you the specific message that no matter what you're going through right now, no matter how dark it seems, no matter how chaotic it seems, no matter how impossible it seems, put your trust in the word of God. Cling to him. Don't move to the left or to the right. Trust in the Lord with all your heart do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and guess what he will direct your path do you feel yourself starting to panic do you still feel yourself starting to freak out do you still feel yourself starting to get paranoia get your mind on god get your mind back on god because i'm telling you that paranoia will get will drive you crazy find your peace with god Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace. Think about that. Okay, God, you don't want me all paranoid. You don't want me freaking out. You don't want me all crazy and insecure and afraid. No, no, no. He, God, you said, for I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. That's what Josiah did. Even though Josiah came from a dangerously dysfunctional home. Listen, if you think you got problems at home, believe me, this guy had some serious problems at home. His own father killed his brother in the fire, threw him in the fire, sacrificed him to these false gods, his own grandfather and father. Josiah came from a dysfunctional home, dangerous dysfunctional home. Josiah chose life in God. He chose at the age of 16 to reject the false gods of his father and grandfather and instead chose to begin seeking after the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At the age of 20, we discover that he connects with God, he finds God, he receives the anointing of God, he is empowered by God, and he begins to be led of God. In the 18th year of his reign, or at the age of 26, Josiah begins to repair the temple of God, and at the same time, he finds the word of God that had been buried and hidden underneath all kinds of rubble and garbage. And we also read a couple of weeks ago that Josiah begins to read the word of God publicly, just like I just did a little while ago. He read it publicly for the first time in 75 years to to the people of God in Jerusalem from the temple of God. A couple of weeks ago, we mentioned that Josiah rebuilt the altar in the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. And we have to remind, remember that Josiah's dad and grandfather had desecrated 
and corrupted the temple of God. They corrupted and compromised the sacrifices of God. They corrupted and compromised the worship of God. They corrupted and compromised the praise of God. And we learned that the people of God no longer had an altar. The people of God no longer had an altar to God. They had allowed the altar of God to be torn down. The people of God had allowed the altar of God to be corrupted. The people of God had allowed the altar of God to be compromised. The people of God had allowed the altar of God to be silenced. The people of God had allowed the fire of God to be quenched. God said, never let the light ever go out in the temple of God. But guess what? The light was out. The fire was out. Everything was all messed up. Josiah had to cleanse and repair the temple of God and the altar of God. Josiah had to restore and bring back the sacrifices of God. Josiah had to restore and bring back the praises of God. Josiah had to restore and bring back the worship of God. Josiah had to restore and bring back the service of God and bring back the fire of God, bring back the light of God. And all this begins at the altar. And sadly, the altar of God had been silent. It had been darkened. So Josiah had to cleanse and repair the temple and he had to cleanse and repair the altar. And we challenged you, if that's going on in your life, if you're feeling that the the presence of God or the power of God is, get back on your knees, get back on your face and allow the fire of God to rekindle your faith in him. Now, after Josiah repaired the altar and restored the sacrifices and offerings, he begins to bring reforms to Israel or he begins to bring Israel back to God. And that's what 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 1 through 25 tells us. How he brought Israel back to God by destroying all of those false gods and destroying all of those evil things that were part of Judah. Now, I don't know if any of you know how dangerous it is to go against the powers that be. Especially when the powers that be are evil and corrupt and murderous, and powerful, and wealthy. For example, how dangerous is it to go against the drug cartels or the Mexican mafia? Would you agree that that's a very dangerous thing to do? How dangerous is it it, to go against sex trafficking or the porn industry? How dangerous is it to go against the homosexual, homosexual community right now? How dangerous is it to go against the Muslim faith in the Middle East or the Hindu faith in India or the Buddhist faith in China where these faiths are strong and prevalent? You see, once a society or a community or a nation has entrenched itself into a false faith or into a false religion, or once a society or a community or a nation has entrenched itself in evil and dark and corrupt and satanic rituals and sexual perversion, it is really hard and dangerous work to root it out. Are you guys listening to what I'm saying? I mean, you are coming against some very powerful forces. God is more powerful, but it's going to be a battle to defeat the powers of hell once they're entrenched in a nation or in a person's life. This is why it's better to keep it out of our own personal lives to begin with than to allow it to come in and then allow it to take root and then it becomes a big, serious problem for us even as Christians. Now, for example, just to let you know how difficult this is, Last week, a week ago Saturday, a number of us gathered at the Baptist Church in Canoga Park in Sherman Way, on Sherman Way. 
and we join hundreds of other Christians that are praying that abortion and our nation will no longer be allowed. We want to see abortion taken out. No more abortions. No more killing of babies. We've killed m millions of babies in this country. Just like they did here in, 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 Ju in, uh, in Josiah's day where they were sacrificing their sons and daughters in the fire. We're doing it today. Now, in reference to legalized abortions, we all know that, the, that President Trump has nominated a very conservative judge to the Supreme Court. Hopefully she'll uh, get confirmed and, and be part of the court. But let me ask you this question. How do you think the nation will react, our nation, the United States of America, how do you think our nation will react if our Supreme Court decides that they are going to reverse Roe versus Wade and no longer allow abortions to be legal in America. Now, of course, as Christians, this is what we're praying for. We're praying for Roe versus Wade to be reversed. We're praying for abortions to be illegal in the United States of America, that we will, not, that we will no longer kill our babies legally in, our, in America. That's what we're praying for. But what's going to happen if it actually happens in our nation? Sadly, we as a nation allowed abortion to become legal in 1973. Abortion is big business now. Planned Parenthood, abortion clinics, hospitals, the selling of body parts, all of these represent jobs and people's livelihood. Are you guys following my train of thinking here? I mean, people are depending on these babies to get aborted for their livelihood. Legalized abortion is now entrenched and rooted in our nation. And to try and remove this will not be easy. Are you listening to what I'm saying? You and I are going to be in favor of it. But there's a lot of people that are not. And when you try and take people's livelihood away, you're going to have trouble. In the book of Acts, we read an account of what happened when the Apostle Paul began to preach the gospel and he confronted a fortune teller. Listen to what it says here in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 16 through 23. It says this. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Isn't that amazing? Even the devil is able to preach for us. Verse 18. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. Do you think that the United States of America will become in a state of uproar if we, if we no longer allow abortions? In our, there's going to be an uproar, church. Oh, yes. We need to pray. We need to pray that God will give these Supreme Court justices the courage to make the right decision. And we need to pray for the after effects of what's going to happen after they make the right decisions. 
But listen to what it says here. It says, verse 20, oh, I'm sorry, verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Verse 20, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. You see, church, this is why it was so important that before Josiah could begin the reforms, before Josiah could begin to tear up all the false idols and all the false gods and all the things that were, that were wrong in Judah, before he could do that, he had to connect with God. He had to receive his anointing with God. He had to receive his power from God. He had to receive that assurance of protection from God. Are you guys listening to me, what I'm saying? You and I have the Holy Spirit in this church. We have the anointing of God on our lives. And none of us, none of us should take that lightly. All of us should understand that God has given us the power and the authority and the anointing that we need to take care of business and we don't have to be afraid. <coughs> now listen to what it says in Acts. Another example, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on, the, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and providing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. Church, aren't we seeing this already right now? This rioting out in our streets and people totally out of control and destroying things? Just imagine what's going to happen if we reverse Roe versus Wade. We need to pray, church. Acts 23, verses 12 through 14. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Listen, people are... They, they get crazy. They get mean. And they get violent. When you try to go against established strongholds of evil. But we have a God that's able to protect. And that's able to give us the strength that we need to move forward. Can you say amen, church? Now, these are just some, church. These are just some of many occasions where the Apostle Paul's life was in danger because he was standing up for God and coming against sin, coming against evil, and coming against corruption. You and I, when we stand against these things in the name of Jesus, it's not easy, but God will be with us, church. This work of standing up against and exposing and rooting out sin and evil is very dangerous. It's very intimidating. That's why our 
eyes and our hearts and our minds have to be in this. Okay, God, I feel the pressure of these people. Okay, God, I see how dangerous this thing is. Okay, God, I feel the, 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 the evil all around me. But, Lord, you said you're going to protect me, and I'm going to trust in you right now. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this mess. I don't know how I'm going to be able to go forward. I don't know what's going to end up happening here. I feel evil and all kinds of pressure around me, but I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm not going to rely on my feelings or my emotions or my own carnal or natural. No, no, no. I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to believe you, God, that you're going to take me through this. You're going to get me that job. You're going to protect my home. You're going to protect my family. You're going to protect my health. You're going to be with me. You're going to be in front of me. You're going to be behind me. You're going to be on the side of me. You're going to be my shield and my buckler. I'm going to put my trust in you, God. Help me now because these days are evil. And you need for me to carry out this business for you, God. That's our attitude, church. That has to be our attitude. We're living in evil days. And I pray that someone in our government has the guts to come against evil at some point or another. But when they do, we're going to have a fight on our hands. Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. Listen, the pressure against Paul was so strong, the, anta- I mean, the, the, the antagonisms, the attacks against him were so strong, he was just a man, just like you and I are just people, and he would get discouraged. The Apostle Paul would get discouraged from time to time. Two times, God had to intervene in Paul's life. The Apostle Paul, this mighty man of God, two times God had to intervene and encourage him not to give up. One of them is found in Acts chapter 18, verse 9 and verse 10. Listen to what it says here. This is after the Apostle Paul had gone through some very severe attacks. It says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city that's a strong word of encouragement from god to the apostle paul listen if you or i come against the homosexual community we're going to get attacked my friend anybody that's in the media if anybody in the media any of these sportscasters newscasters anybody that's in the media they say anything derogatory against the homosexual community they're going to get fired they're going to get blacklisted They're going to lose their jobs. That's how dangerous coming against the homosexual community is right now in these days. If our Supreme Court says, you know what, we're going to reverse the same-sex marriage thing. No, 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 no. That's going to go out the door. No more of that same-sex marriage stuff. If they do that, do you know what's going to happen? That homosexual community is going to come against the church and the court. Church, if we want to pray for what's right, that's a good thing. But we better be ready for whatever the battle comes because it will come if things if we want to get right with god if we want our nation to get right with god we're going to have to trust god to take us through the coming storm that will come if we come against these evil practices that our nation is guilty of right now are you guys listening to what i'm saying right now amen 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 another situation where god encouraged the apostle paul in acts chapter 23 verse 11 the following night The Lord stood near Paul and Silas. Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Church, God says, take courage. Don't be afraid. 
I'm with you. You just do what I tell you to do. You just follow my word. You just keep to my word. You just trust in my word. You just rely on my word. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to never leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to make sure that your life is okay. You just do things my way. I want to end with 1 Kings. I want to end with with the scripture found in 1 Kings chapter 13. I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 38. The same promise that God gave to Jeroboam, and I wish he would have listened, but he didn't. I want to say it to you right now. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 38. If you do whatever I command you, and I'm taking this personally for me. I'm, I'm, I'm receiving this. I'm taking this for me, and I hope that you take it for you. It says this. If you do... Whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands as David my servant did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty. I'm going to protect your family. I'm going to protect everything that belongs to you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. Church, is our God able to do that for you? Is our God able to do that for us? Let's put our trust in the Lord here this morning. No matter how crazy things get, no matter how much evil, no matter how strong the opposition may be, you do things God's way. Don't rely on your emotions. Don't rely on your, uh, on your, on your carnal or natural thinking. Don't your, rely on your feelings. No, no, no. You trust God. And you start feeling paranoid. You start feeling afraid. You start freaking out. No, no, no. You get into this word. You start meditating on this word. And you start trusting in God for whatever you're going through. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now, God, that you will empower your people to believe that your word is true and that you are true and that you are God and that you are mighty. Lord, we pray that you will have your way in this place and that you will have your way in this country. We don't know the future, but you do, Lord. And we put our hands and our hearts and our lives in you. So, Lord, if there's anyone out there, Lord Jesus, that perhaps does not know you, if you're out there and you're listening and you say, Jerry, I am not a Christian. I am not a Christian. I have never surrendered my life to Jesus. If I were to die today or if Jesus were to come, I'm not sure if I would go to heaven. If that's you here this morning, you are not a Christian. If you're online and you say, Jerry, I am not a Christian and I want to surrender my life to Almighty God here today, just lift up your hand and we will pray. Anyone at all says, Jerry, I need to receive Jesus. I see that hand. Thank you so much. If you're online, just repeat this prayer. And sister, those that you're, you're lifting up your hand right now, just say these words. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I have heard your word and I believe that you, Jesus, are God. And today, I willingly open the door to my heart and I ask you, Jesus, to come in, take over my life. I believe that you, Jesus, came to this earth, born of a virgin. You lived a perfect and pure life. You died on the cross and you rose again on the third day for me. I say thank you today for the free gift of salvation and forgiveness of sin 
that you offer to all mankind. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's give glory to God, church. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.